Welcome to the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We invite you to open your Bibles and follow along with us as we study God's Word together. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. My name is Cody Westbrook and I'm the preacher for the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. Of all the sermons that you've ever heard, none can compare to the Sermon on the Mount. Recorded for us in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, this sermon is, without question, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. Some have called this the Manifesto of the King. Some have referred to it as the Constitution of Christianity or the Magna Carta of the Church. Some refer to this as a rule book or a guide for kingdom or Christian living. All of those descriptions are accurate within themselves, but regardless of what kind of descriptive terms we'd like to attach to this sermon, there is no question that this sermon is the greatest one that has ever been preached. There are so many good things, so many powerful truths that come from the mouth of our Lord in these three chapters. It's a great section to study, and it's a study that I personally like to engage in at least once a year. What we want to do uh, for the next couple of episodes is we want to concentrate on the first 12 verses of this sermon, which we commonly call the Beatitudes. These Beatitudes set a foundation for the rest of the sermon that's to come, but studying them individually is very helpful and very important because each one of them individually has something to say about the character and the heart and the attitude that each Christian should have. Before we begin looking at them, though, what we want to do is talk just for a couple of moments about some introductory or some background material. It is important to have some idea of what kind of world Jesus lived in, of what kind of difficulties and struggles the people who heard Jesus preach this sermon were dealing with in their own lives because when we start to understand something about their history and their circumstances, then first we start to see that they really weren't very different than us. And second, we begin to see why these characteristics in the first 12 verses are so very applicable. First of all, it's important to note that for a number of years, the Jews had basically been a ping-pong ball on the table of world history. If you go back to the book of Daniel... You'll notice that Daniel, while in Babylonian captivity, that Daniel began to prophesy, uh, of course, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, about events that were going to unfold in time to come. And he talked about a number of things that took place during what we call the intertestamental period, or the 400 years that transpired between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Some of the things that he talked about were Alexander the Great and the rise of the Grecian Empire and the influence of Hellenism or Greek culture. And history tells us that Hellenism or Greek culture was something that had an effect on the Jewish people. In fact, it caused problems and infighting within the Jews because some of them very strongly rejected it, but some of them uh, embraced it and tried to force the embrace on their fellow brothers and sisters of the Jewish nation. Then there's a time period that's known as the Syrian Wars, 
which was a series of conflicts between Egypt and between Syria over who was going to control this small strip of land that uh, was right between their two countries. And that small strip of land happened to be Judea. And so throughout these wars, these Syrian wars, God's people, the Jews, they suffered because they went back from uh, control of one hand to the other uh, throughout this period of history. Then there is the oppression of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, which led to the rise of what's called the Maccabean Revolt. And then finally, after the Maccabean Revolt, after the Syrians were put down, then the Romans come into the picture. And now the Roman Empire and their powerful hand has a grip and has control over Judea. And Rome is the uh, nation that had control and power over this uh, land during the time of the New Testament. So out of all of this came the Jews' desire for liberation and the formation of different sects of Judaism that pursued that aim in many different ways like the Essenes or the Sadducees, the Pharisees or the Zealots, uh, many of whom we read about in the New Testament and particularly in the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But see, there's one thing that really stands out that's very important as we now begin to transition into what we find in Matthew chapter 5. All of these events, all of these events produced within the minds of the Jewish people a very physical mentality. They were tired of suffering and they were seeking physical liberation. They wanted to have their own king and they wanted to be free and they wanted to have their own nation and they wanted to be powerful again just like they were during the time of David and the time of Solomon. And so in the process of this pursuit, the spiritual condition of God's people was grossly neglected. Because basically they were being led by politicians and not spiritual leaders. So when we arrive in the New Testament and when we see some of the things that Jesus said to the general peop- the general populace and to the leaders like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, you'll notice that he says things like, Do as they say, not as they do. Matthew 23 verse 1 to 3 in reference to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 15, he talks about the Pharisees and the scribes, and he says they exalt their tradition over Scripture. He'll go on in Matthew chapter 23 to describe the Pharisees as hypocrites who devoured widows' houses and who were like whited sepulchers that looked good on the outside but inside were rotten. All the while, while these leaders were corrupting themselves, the people suffered. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 says that as Jesus was traveling throughout the cities and the villages, that he looked upon the multitude and he was moved with compassion because they were as sheep scattered abroad without a shepherd. To them, to the leaders, religion was all action and no heart. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 16, Jesus talks about three things. He talks about giving, he talks about praying, and he talks about fasting. And he tells the people who are listening to this sermon, he says, listen, when you look at the Pharisees, you see their giving and their praying and their fasting, he'll say, don't do it the way that they do it. See, there wasn't anything wrong with giving, praying, or fasting, but the problem was not the action necessarily that the Pharisees were uh, undertaking. The problem was their heart. The problem was their motive. 
And Jesus deals with that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 16. So the message of Christ Jesus to those who listened to him as he preached while here on this earth, and to you and me today, as we read and study God's Word, and as we strive to follow uh, the teachings of our Lord, His message is this. His message is be different. Be different. And that's not a, that's not a new message, of course. Uh, that, that message was a part of the Old Testament law. Like Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 19, and a number of other passages that talk about holiness, sanctification, separation, You see, before God took the children of Israel across the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan, He gave them the law, and He told them over and over again, I am am bringing you into a nation that is full of people who are ungodly. And He says, you don't be like them. You be different. You be holy, which literally means be sanctified or be set apart. There needs to be a distinction between you and between them, and that distinction is seen in the way that you live. We see that same emphasis in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 through 47 is just one of many examples. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Stop for a moment and ask yourself this question. How many people in our current world or in the world throughout uh, the course of human history, how many people have taken that kind of an attitude toward their enemies? Not many. Most of the time, the normal human reaction is to hate your enemies and to try and to overcome your enemies and to do evil to your enemies. But Jesus says, don't hate them, love them, pray for them, and do good for them. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 7 through 13, Jesus talks about prayer. And again, he says, When you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Those who were pagans, even those who were the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and others uh, who were ungodly, their prayers were simply empty words. And sometimes they would repeat the same thing over and over and over again, thinking that the multiplicity of words was equal to uh, righteousness or goodness in some way or another. Matthew 6, verse 32 and 33, Jesus has just finished talking about how we are to not worry about the necessities of life. He says, but seek, uh, he says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So over and over again throughout the New Testament, and particularly throughout this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasizes the need for Christians to be different. The world hates their enemies. Jesus says you love your enemies. The world's uh, prayers are ungodly, and they're empty, He says, you don't pray like they do. You pray in a way that is right, that is correct. And then Jesus lays out the model. The world worries about pursuing material things. Jesus says, you don't worry about pursuing material things. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will provide for you those things that are necessities that we need in order to live in this world. But of all of the examples, of all of the passages in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well, for that matter, that emphasize the need for the people of God to be different from the culture and the world that's around them, 
What better example than the Beatitudes? The zealots said, let's take the kingdom by force. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for for, uh, they shall inherit the earth. The Sadducees said, let's build our wealth and influence. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The Pharisees said, let's keep the people in our back pocket and exalt ourselves over them by exercising our form of righteousness. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So that is just a small uh, snapshot of some background material, some things that were going on in this time and in this world in which Jesus spoke these words, things that we need to keep in mind. And As we think about those things, we begin to realize that their world wasn't really a whole lot different than ours. They were struggling with people who were entirely materialistic. We have people who are entirely materialistic. They were struggling with leaders who were uh, wicked and who were only interested in their own dishonest gain. They cared about their money. They cared about their power. They cared about their fame. They didn't care about the people. We have the same kind of leaders in our world currently and will uh, most likely until the Lord returns and the world comes to an end. There were, uh, the, the, there were uh, temptations in the first century world. Uh, there was suffering in the first century world. Uh, there was death and disease. All of these things that we see in our own day and time that we struggle with on a daily basis They were there then as well. And so these Beatitudes and this whole sermon and the Bible as a whole, it is just as applicable today as it was when these words were originally spoken. We need to keep those things in mind. Now, as we look at the Beatitudes in particular, we are going to divide the Beatitudes into four sections. First, there is our attitude towards self. Second, our attitude towards sin, third, our attitude towards God, and fourth, our attitude toward others. I'll say that again. First, our attitude towards self, second, our attitude towards sin, third, our attitude toward God, and fourth, our attitude toward others. Now let's begin looking at these points individually. We begin by looking at what the Beatitudes say about our attitude toward self. First of all, Jesus begins in Matthew 5, 3 by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word poor is not talking about someone who barely gets by on a day's wage, but rather it is a word that describes someone who has literally nothing. Someone who is a beggar and is absolutely 100% dependent upon other people to help them uh, meet their needs. Old Testament passages like Psalm 34 and verse number 6 come to mind when we think about this word poor and uh, what uh, what it means. Where the psalmist says, "...the poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles." Or Psalm 51 and verse number 17, which is a psalm of David when he said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Notice the idea here of a broken spirit, a a broken and a contrite heart. This is someone who recognizes that they absolutely have nothing. But it has to do with 
It has to do with being humble. To be poor in spirit does not mean to walk around gloomy or to walk around uh, with your head down uh, all the time, but it's really the idea of humility. It's the idea of recognizing our true place before God, recognizing our dependence upon God, looking to Him for deliverance, acknowledging our spiritual poverty. That is to say, without Him, we are nothing. Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, verse 6, All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. In other words, a human being can do absolutely the best that he could possibly do. And a human being's absolute best in the sight of God is nothing better than a dirty rag. We are completely dependent upon God. And only the person who is poor in spirit, that is to say, only the person who is humble, can come to that recognition. Before God can use me, I have to recognize my need for Him. In James chapter 4, verse 6 to 10, James has something to say about the importance of humility. He says this, But he gives more grace... Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. What is it that James is telling us in James 4, verses 6 to 10? He is telling us that God gives grace to those who are humble, that we must humble ourselves before God, that we must give ourselves over to Him and to His will. And when we do that, then God will lift us up. Our attitude toward self, first and foremost, should be humility. It should be a recognition that without God, I am nothing and that I need God, and I need His grace, and I need His mercy. I need His love, and I depend upon Him. The second beatitude that deals with our attitude towards self is the beatitude that speaks of meekness in verse number 4. Blessed are those, excuse me, verse number 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we live in a world that is obsessed with physical strength. We are interested, especially in the United States of America, about building military uh, uh, weapons and equipment that is bigger and faster and more powerful than anyone could imagine. We watch football, and we know that football teams are always looking uh, for players who are bigger and faster and stronger. We're impressed with strength of all different kinds. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. And typically in our, in our society, when we think about meekness, we associate that with weakness. But that's not at all what the Bible means when it talks about meekness. Meekness has to do with power that is under control. Sometimes it's translated as gentleness. It's the idea of a refusal to fight for one's cause. It is the opposite of anger and spite. And Aristotle once said, anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way. That is not at all easy. I would suggest to you that Aristotle hit the nail right on the head as it pertains to defining meekness. 
Anyone can become angry and can exercise their strength in whatever way that they choose. But it's much more difficult to be angry or to use our strength, if you will, in the right way, at the right time, for the right purpose, and to the right degree. But that's what meekness is all about. Moses was described as the meekest man in all the earth. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart, Matthew chapter 10. And the Bible tells us that we're to pursue meekness, 1 Timothy 6.11. That we're to walk in meekness, Ephesians 4 verse 2. That we're to put on meekness, Colossians 3 verse 12. And that we are to exercise meekness to all, Titus chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. My attitude should, toward self should first and foremost be humility, recognizing my smallness and my dependence upon God, my need for Him. Second, my attitudes toward self should be meek. I should be controlled, self-controlled. I should be gentle, and I should recognize that sometimes it's better to suffer defeat for the kingdom's sake than it is to simply try and right some wrong that's been done to me that in the big picture of the, in the grand scheme of things really doesn't make much difference at all. Meekness and humility. These two beatitudes describe our attitude towards self in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Matthew chapter 5, and verse 5. We've come to the end of our study this afternoon. In our next episode, we'll continue our study of the Beatitudes, and we'll begin by talking about our attitude toward sin. We thank you for listening to this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, and we hope that you will join us for our next episode as we open up our Bibles and study more of the wonderful Word of Life. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. Please visit our website at swcofc.org for more information about the Southwest Church of Christ. And if you're in the Austin area, please come and visit with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us again as we open up our Bibles and study more of the wonderful Word of Life.